In this episode, we examine Hara as the vital center of man. Hara is the Japanese word referencing the belly, specifically the lower abdomen, literally referred to as the abdominal heart. This presentation is about the restoration of Hara, an inarguable precursor to a balanced, fearless, and centered individual constitution. We need to diagnose the illness to think about the cure. For this, we need to examine the now apparently redundant yet once prominent psychiatric diagnosis of neurasthemia. William James once coined the term Americanitis when referring to neurasthenia, denoting that Americans at his time were particularly prone to neurasthenia. In general, the term denoted what we refer to now colloquially as a nervous breakdown. Formerly, a psychological reaction developed in a specific type of personality, characterized by hypersensitivity, introversion, self-consciousness, perfectionism, and hypochondria. This diagnosis seemed to arise during the industrialization and financialization of the West and was said to afflict the upper class and the working professionals primarily, those whom are desk-bound, overworked, solitary. It was thought to afflict those living within what they termed the monetary system, something very much ubiquitous in our own time. One not think too deeply about the roots of our current psychic masochism resulting from the multitudinous obsessions with hyperfinancialization amongst the many. We should note, however, the term is no longer referenced in the most recent diagnostic manuals in the West not since the 1980s, with the notable exception of the Chinese Psychiatric Association. One Western scientist noticed that the context of the Chinese understanding was that neurasthemia was biculturally patterned illness experience. However, for the purposes of this video, I want to focus on Japan and their interaction with Americanitis for Japan offers the starkest contrast of this malaise. The Meiji Restoration introduced Cartesian Western medicine into the Japanese mentality, and old traditionalist understandings of the body were discarded. Many Japanese activities that promoted abdominal breathing and posture were practiced less, seen as outdated and unsophisticated. In 1868, the Japanese government granted Western medical practitioners a kind of monopoly, and at this moment, materialist scientism came to dominate Japan. In this time of immense cultural modernization, the separation of mind and body took root. In their fight to embrace Western science and philosophy, the intellectual and professional classes let go of many of the physical excellences that define their traditional culture. They instead focused entirely on the acquisition of Western cultural habits and viewpoints. Yet, traditional arts and cultural practices such as Judo, Kendo, No, Gidayu, Tea Ceremony, Ikebana, Misogi, amongst many others, in these, one can clearly see that breathing is essential and integral. Anyone that has seen such modalities performed notices the deliberate movements, posture, and formalized manner of breath. Only a couple of decades prior to the Meiji Restoration, notions of neurasthenia were unfamiliar, if not completely unknown, to most Japanese. But now, their sui chaku, or weakness, had become known 
as not only the disease of civilization of the 20th century, but also the national disease of Japan. This was described at the time as an explicitly modern phenomenon. They knew the cause, it wasn't a mystery. Japan struggled with the nihilist reductionism inherent in industrialization, along with all its habits. It is interesting to note that people in the West and East were acutely aware of modernity's impact on them as it evolved. Some people believe the emergence of neurasthemia or Americanitis was also reinforced by the circulation of the ideology of social Darwinism, which portrayed domestic communities as battlefields of the struggle for survival. While it may seem strange to say this was something new to a war like Japan, this kind of fracturing was entirely different. This was not a tribal conflict. This is something we're all too familiar with in the Hobbesian war of all against all, in which no one is kin. And we tear one another down for scraps. We trade our freedom for safety. Kishimoto Nobuta, a religious scholar who lived in the late 19th century, perhaps best surmised the Japanese experience of Americanitis, recalling his own affliction as follows. My body then was like a wrecked ship. I felt the mind and the body completely cut off from one another, as if they were two separate existences having no connection at all. It was a state much more severe than disharmony between body and mind. I was stuck in a painful state, which should be described as a split between the spirit and the flesh. Fortunately for the Japanese, several medical practitioners around this time sought to reinstate abdominal breathing as a cure for the disease of modernity. Most famously, Dr. Futaki Kenzo and his alleged rediscovery and reinvention of this abdominal breathing technique. Futaki blamed physiological components of Western being, Western style clothing and sitting in chairs at desks, offering us an interesting parallel to the Western conception of the American disease. These physiological habits ultimately restricted the awareness and utilization of the abdominal wall, and as we know, you use it or you lose it. When I first started working with Hara back in my own practice, I noticed, for example, a belt of tension which seemed to correspond where my pants sit, and more specifically, where my belt sit. And yet, most of my belly seemed to lack strength at the same time. Futaki argued this led to a wasting of the muscles of the diaphragm and the abdominal wall, which caused a reduction in abdominal pressure. As we know in integrative body work, the diaphragm is the primary muscle driving the breath reflex. And yet, in myself and working with others in various forms of body work, I have rarely observed someone in the West that breathes naturally without the use of ancillary musculature. There are many derivations of breathing. Some may even use their throats by bracing the musculature in their throats, maybe even the rib cage, to try and utilize the diaphragm. Ultimately, these strange physiologies reflect a strange character. Ultimately, for Futaki at least, it is because we have lost our vital center of gravity and breath, or Hara. In Futaki's conception, this has resulted in a lack of blood flow to and from the gut region and the abdominal region, which he considered a second heart of sorts, required for venous return of blood back to the heart, and basically, the lack of Hara 
led to a fearful individual constitution and functional anemia. Futaki then devised exercises to try and reinstate abdominal and diaphragmatic functionality. Upon using these exercises, Kishimoto, whom we mentioned before, felt the pain of disunity and disintegration ease. Once he regained the skill to evenly redistribute the blood aggregated in the upper parts of the body by practicing the strengthening the belly method, he regained control over his body. He felt at one with it again saying, I am the belly and the belly is me. For this reason, Japan offers an interesting case study, a culture traditionally rooted so purely in a primordial way of being, one of the purest examples I'm aware of in fact, at least in the last 500 years, confronted with modernization, shows us so tangibly what we have suffered for millennia in the West. As we all know, breathing is primarily considered a purely mechanistic natural function in modern Western medicine that needs no special care unless compromised. This is a disaster. So what of the West? In my opinion, in the West, at least since classical times, there has been a drive in ignoring the body. The body in general became a vessel for sin and animal behavior, as if we're not animals. Something filthy, wrong, and in its place was supplanted a strange, verbose, legalistic view of the world, in which various figures sought to describe creation with their words and concept structures. Civilizations were built around this. This is very much a cultural habit we carry to this day. I believe Nietzsche best analyzed this problem. His view is that Europe suffered a normative morality, forcing the constraints of reason on the power of activity and the nature of life itself. Natural life force grew weak and feeble. We see that today in the fruits of this. Industrialization seems to have marched hand in hand with the collapsing quality of the species. One need only take a look around Western culture and its habits as it is and notice. I personally rarely listen to the content of what people say. I look at them in their totality, thus the contemptible state of the West is unsurprising to me. Depression, anxiety, slouch bodies, weak shallow breath, sallow complexions and a peculiar stench of desperate overconsumption. Nietzsche suggested that active nihilism of the will to power as the one thing that could redeem a tired Europe, a task I think that is as yet very much incomplete. Nietzsche's take is relevant primarily because he considered reason in philosophy as a kind of weird obsession peculiar to a peculiar grouping known as philosophers. He strongly rejected the idea that one can make primordial being out of the abstract universal as really just a hyperstatization of mere words. This is the same affliction that tore Kishimoto's spirit from his flesh. There is no difference here. We merely institutionalized it. Nietzsche referred to this obsessional metaphysics of words as Vernunft, negating the reality of the thing in itself that reason ultimately takes as its ultimate object. He maintained that only the sense content of the phenomenal world is real. This content was infinitely varied and continuously changing, even to the point where Nietzsche said, it's impossible to say that it even exists at all. 
Anyone listening to this who practices advanced mindfulness can attest to this. This is very much a viewpoint close to something like impermanence in Buddhism, for example. And for someone who, by all accounts, didn't have access to inside exercises like those that we will describe in later episodes, this is truly remarkable in terms of insight. Regardless of what anyone says, he was a remarkable man to stand up against the stifling, prevailing cultural milieu of the time. Often, we see rigidity in Western men. Any body therapist can attest to this. This becomes much more evident when Westerners visit a country like Japan, where the standard flexibility and uprightness could be seen as a significant physical feat to many in the West myself included. I believe that this is a rigidity stemming from the supplanting of instinct of the blood of the Dionysian and the Apollonian for the zealous pursuit of abstract reason. I don't think reason even really exists, at least not in the way that we think it does. But that's a discussion for another time. Many in the West suffer from gut issues, bloating, and while no doubt dysbiosis of the gut exists, in my view, most cases probably stem from a lack of hara. Westerners with distended bellies and bloating, resulting from the lack of tonus and strength in the abdominal wall itself. All it requires is a meal and one becomes acutely aware, people curling up like infants around their primary source of weakness. Scientific insights into neurology are often interesting and back up some of the things that we're asserting here. One prominent neuroscientist refers to the left brain, the symbolizing and language center, as the little dictator, the little tyrant, forever trying to assert its control over the right brain activity, the side of instinct, the side of the brain that enacts all that is a reservoir of all-knowingness beyond even that which we can readily access with our conscious minds, a kind of repository of divine intelligence in some ways, and yet the little tyrant forever tries to exercise his control over the outcomes of this intelligence. And funnily enough, there is some evidence to show that this style of breathing disempowers certain centers associated with the symbol-using side of the brain. However, I'll be careful with this because experience has told me that consciousness is probably not in the brain as such, not in any meaningful way. So I'm happy to base this knowledge purely on empirical experience. In our culture, it would be entirely correct, as Alfred Korzybski said, that we have mistaken the map for the territory, and in my opinion, our physiologies primarily drive this. Now, it is one thing to diagnose the illness, but it's quite another to offer a way out. Overall, I would say that Western philosophy and medicine have been entirely deficient in anything other than diagnosis, since our propensity for abstraction precludes us from doing so. So what of Hara, as Durkheim called it, the vital center of man? I posit that it should represent the first step for anyone wanting to disconnect from the culture and ground themselves in the organic. Nobody in the West really understands the self. As a culture, we don't understand it. For us, the self exists as a kind of entanglement of obsessive coping mechanisms covering a non-existent free will and drive for survival. The breakdown of these misunderstandings 
commences with the discipline of the Hara, abdominal breathing, in my opinion. Bluntly, the intellect has left us thinking that we are outside of nature in some way, that we exist apart from it, that we work on it, and that we strive so that it does not work upon us, and the pursuit of abstract comfort. I see this as a kind of psychic egotism that afflicts us in all the ways that I have described, and yet it exists as nothing more than a coping mechanism used to shroud instinct. I see this through two archetypes. Think of the bodybuilder holding imaginary suitcases, chest out, hunched over, egotistically offering an affront to the world as if he is there to dominate it by his own will alone, armored against it, his belly and chest rigid and immobile, with a hunch in his back, all his energies stuck in his chest and his shoulders and his head, exhibiting nothing to us but an attitude of fear. Conversely, the lone redditor, hunched over with an inverted chest, flabby abdominal muscles and a floppy diaphragm, obsessively reading vaccination statistics on his phone in a state of alert and terror, all at once living a meager, subjected, sorry existence, and yet fearfully grasping to a worthless life. Neither of these states is natural. Both occur as a direct result of disconnection from the vital center of man, the center of his gravity. And I include myself in these descriptions. I am not free from this. I am a, a part of Western civilization as much as anyone else. However, I have made some efforts to change this. Futaki asserted that if people could maintain proper tension and reflex in the diaphragm and abdominal wall, they would be imbued with the physiological traits of fearlessness and composure, something barely anyone can attest to now. Flabby muscle tonus uh, lead naturally to anxiety and fear. Futaki asserted that if pressure was low, the nervous system would be left in an anemic and dull state. Of course, man is naturally endowed with hara. One only need observe a baby sleeping and breathing, or a small child sitting cross-legged and erect, before the habits of state socialization and poor parenting bend the child out of shape. Now it is our task to regain this. The practice of hara transcends the dualism of spirit and flesh. It is the foundation. Below the navel, we find our center of gravity, the place in which we can find our equilibrium, the primary heart and the primary brain from which all other vital energies emanate. As transition individuals with one foot in the ways of tradition, one foot in the present, averting our gaze to the future, reinvigorating this primal center in ourselves should be the task. The dissolution of the modern delusion of being outside of anything and anything being outside of us. The illusion of languages, free will and intelligence collapses as we glimpse the reality of man as a part of nature. The truth is that all is within and without us and we are within and without it all at once. And Hara is the tether, the primordial umbilical cord. It is from the vital center of man that great destinies will emerge again, and an organic religion, a religion of life, may arise again. Next week, I will present some exercises one can use in a detailed post 
with some variations that I myself have found useful over the years.